I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on the December 2022 public release of Donald Trump's tax returns. In December 2022, the House Ways and Means Committee voted to publicly disclose six years of former President Trump's tax returns. Trump, the first president since Nixon who chose not to publicize his tax returns, notably fought all the way to the Supreme Court to keep his returns private. In today's episode, we'll discuss how the returns were made public, what they reveal, and what could come next. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. I trust you had a good winter break and holiday? I did. I ate lots of cookies, which always makes for a good anything, in my opinion. How about you? I also ate a lot of cookies Excellent. and pie. Oh, and pie. Yes. Excellent. And it's probably the best Festivus I've had in years. I did not realize. I knew you watched Seinfeld. I didn't know that you celebrated Festivus. For the rest of us, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and Festivus actually started a bit early this year because on December 20th, the House Ways and Means Committee began the annual airing of grievances by releasing a report on six years of Trump's tax returns and saying that they would release the returns publicly once they'd been scrubbed of some sensitive information like Trump's social security number. All right, so you celebrate Festivus and apparently Congress celebrates Festivus as well. Well, I mean, when the Democrats are in power, they're very inclusive. They are. They celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Schwanza, you yeah. name it. Uh, sometimes they can't name it. <laughs> Indeed. We thank you for your service, Madam Speaker. But uh, we can't ignore the Republicans, right? They also had to air their grievances about the release of the returns. Can't, can't we ignore the Republicans? <laughs> I don't think we can. Okay. They're quite vocal about it. Um, to paraphrase the immortal words of Frank Costanza, they got a lot of problem with those Democrats. And now you're going to hear about it. Uh, I think it's safe to say that each party had no shortage of ways that they disappointed the other during 2022. It's a very fair statement. It was also a very long Festivist celebration this year. Uh, the feats of strength, which in, in this scenario was the Democrats finally pinning down Trump by publicly releasing his tax returns, figuratively mm -hmm, pinning him mm -hmm. down, of course. That didn't happen until the penultimate day of the year. So... That gave us some pretty exciting reading to do by the light of New Year's Eve fireworks. So two things, penultimate is one of my favorite words. It's a great word. Only, second only to anti-penultimate. I thought you liked nonagenarian and pseudonymous. No, no I, like, I like penultimate and anti-penultimate. Um, okay. So that's number one. Number two, you have kind of a unique way of uh, what you consider exciting ways to spend your holidays. I don't know what you're talking about. So... Our goals for today are to, number one, explain how the Democrats were able to obtain and release Trump's tax returns. Sounds good. Number two, discuss some of the major takeaways that the tax returns revealed about Trump's business dealings and his financial situation. Love it. And number three, talk about what might come next as a consequence of this airing of the grievances, as you put it. Sounds like a great plan. Get us started. So although Democrats were very displeased that Trump didn't voluntarily release his tax returns when he was a presidential candidate, they didn't have any legal way to force him to disclose. Right. Instead, they hatched a plan for the House Ways and Means Committee, which is the oldest and one of the most powerful committees in the House of Representatives, to basically exercise its oversight of the IRS 
and examine whether the IRS appropriately audited Trump during his presidency. The IRS has had an internal policy in place since 1977 that actually requires the agency to do a, quote, mandatory review of the returns of both the sitting president and vice president. So the question was whether the IRS followed its own policies when Trump was in the White House. And that's a tricky question because Trump is executive branch overseeing Treasury, overseeing IRS. And so it gets complicated. Didn't he appoint the IRS commissioner that oh, was yes. serving during his time? Yes, he did. Okay. So you, you could say he might have had a little bit of influence. It's a tangled web we've yes. got going on here. Yes. And on top of that, we can't forget that Trump actually used the fact that he was under audit as a reason for not wanting to publicly release his returns. Yes. Um, and I don't find myself in a position often of relating to anything that former President Trump uh, has said. Thankfully. But in this case, I kind of got to say it was a fair excuse for him not to release his tax returns publicly. I mean, if I were under audit, the last thing I'd want is for every forensic accountant and interested party in the world pouring over my returns and pointing things out to the IRS, which we've said repeatedly is severely under-resourced so they could use all the help they can get. But it's also interesting because one of the things that House's investigations into the mandatory audit policy revealed is that the IRS had initiated audits of only a single year during Trump's tenure as president. So all this talk of he can't release because he's under audit, it was only for one year. All right. So the House Ways and Means Committee used its oversight of the IRS mm -hmm. and was able to convince the courts that it needed to access Trump's tax returns and his IRS audit history in order to evaluate whether the IRS was conducting the mandatory audits it should have. Turns out they were right to ask because the IRS wasn't actually doing what it was supposed to be doing. Right. And that leaves two questions. First, why wasn't the IRS auditing Trump in accordance with their own policies? And second, why is the House releasing Trump's tax returns to the public? Two good questions indeed. Let us start with the first. Okay. So I think it's likely that the IRS wasn't auditing Trump in accordance with their policy because, as you just alluded to, they were severely out-resourced during yes. his presidency. For sure. Um, if I want to put that in different words and quote Hamilton, you could say that they were outgunned, outmanned, outnumbered, and outplanned. Love it. So... Trump's business empire encompasses about 400 partnerships and limited liability companies that are all connected in a giant web of, let's call it goo. Okay. And I just want to point out that goo is, in fact, the technical term. Thank you. And this web generates over 500 separate tax returns that all somehow flow up into Trump's personal tax return that he files with his wife, Melania. So confession time. I'm going to go ahead and admit that when my spouse came downstairs the morning of December 30th, when the returns had been released, to find me looking at tax forms for fun, as he pointed out, again, again, even my eyes were starting to glaze over at the sheer volume of what we got. And we only got the returns for a handful of these 400 entities. And on top of that, the same IRS policy manual that outlines the required audits of sitting presidents also says that the agency needs to take particular care to keep the documents safe from prying eyes, even within the agency. So you basically have one poor agent assigned to review thousands of pages of tax returns for just a single year. And who knows what other jobs that agent is tasked with. Yeah, that's a good point. According to a review of the released tax returns and audit history, which was done by the nonpartisan Joint Committee on Taxation, the IRS knew it was outgunned by Trump's team. 
So when you add it all up, it's frankly not too surprising that the IRS sort of gave up on auditing Trump's myriad tax returns because they simply didn't have the resources to carry out those audits, given the complexity of Trump's businesses. Yep. Now, in contrast, the New York Times reports that the IRS did routinely audit Presidents Obama and Biden, maybe because their business dealings are decidedly less complicated than Trump's. But that still leaves us the second question, which is why, as a part of its oversight over the IRS, does the House Ways and Means Committee have the authority to publicize Trump's tax returns? And you got to bear in mind, it's typically a criminal offense for somebody with legitimate access to somebody else's confidential tax returns to disclose that information to anybody else. Absolutely. I mean, it is an excellent question. And I'm going to take it by your silence there that you don't have a good answer to that question. No, ma'am, I do not. I mean, I can see why the Democrats wanted to do it. Sure. So personally, I think transparency is a good thing. And as a tax nerd, I want to see the president's tax returns. I mean, I want to see everybody's tax returns, but I specifically wanted to see Donald Trump's tax returns. Agreed. But despite that strong burning desire that I had, I think you have to step back and ask, was it necessary to release the returns as part of their investigation into the IRS's audit of a sitting president? It seems like they could have gotten the audit history determined that the IRS wasn't doing what they were supposed to and called it a day. Yeah. There's not really a good explanation, at least as far as I can tell, for why they had to publicly release his tax returns in conjunction with that investigation. And so you know what that means. The explanation must be. Uh, No, I do not. It's a Festivus miracle. (laughs) Excellent. Let's discuss what Trump's tax returns reveal about the former president's business dealings and finances. Sure, but we should start with some caveats. Yeah, that's fair. Although we have over 6,000 pages of Trump's returns from 2015 to 2020, as we alluded to, this is really just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. House Democrats only released Trump's individual tax return, which is Form 1040, along with some information on just eight of his over 400 legal entities. That is a large iceberg. It is. So it's possible that someone a year or two from now is going to emerge from having been buried in a dark hole, pouring over these returns, having finally discovered some major revelation that's yet to be noticed by all of the nerds now pouring over these returns. And um, it's also possible that maybe the juiciest revelations are still hiding in one of those entities that we didn't get information about. And I'm sort of hoping for that because I don't know how you felt, but it kind of felt like much ado about nothing. It did. So let's talk about what we actually do know. Sounds like a great plan. All right, so one thing that lots of people have been talking about since a few pages of Trump's returns were leaked to the New York Times a couple of years ago is the amount of business losses that Trump regularly reports. Yes. In many years, these losses reduce Trump's taxable income all the way down to zero, although he sometimes ends up paying some alternative minimum tax. Yes. On the one hand, these losses could be entirely legitimate. Real estate businesses where Trump has made his fortune are notorious for generating really large deductions, things like depreciation, that help reduce the taxable income of real estate entrepreneurs, even though these ventures can still generate really large 
positive cash flows. Yep. So in other words, you can get rich on real estate while still minimizing your taxes. But on the other hand, the magnitude and the timing of some of these losses potentially tell a different story. Yes. So some of the losses, for example, were actually from selling real estate holdings, not from taking large depreciation and other deductions while continuing to operate those properties as hotels, golf courses, or other rental properties. Mm -hmm. Fact that Trump even sold some of his real estate in the first place at large losses raises the question of whether those holdings were good investments to begin with. Mm -hmm. Also, you have to ask yourself, why did he need money so badly that he was forced to sell some of his holdings at a loss during a point in the pandemic when, you know what, not a lot of people wanted to buy a hotel? Yeah, as USC professor Edward McCaffrey has repeatedly pointed out, the rich don't usually have to recognize gains, or in this case, losses, on their assets because they can borrow against them until they die. It does raise the question why Trump would ever sell at a loss. And it also raises the question of just how big a business genius that he claims to be can manage to report only business losses year after year after year. Indeed it does. All right, so another interesting point brought up by the Joint Committee on Taxation's review of the returns is the Seven Springs Conservation Easement. Mm Mm-hmm. In this case, Trump donated most, but not all, of attractive land that he was unable to develop to a land trust in order to conserve instead of develop the land. He claimed a $21 million deduction for that donation, stipulating that $21 million was the appraised value of the developed land. The problem with conservation easements, as we've talked about before, of course, is valuation. Yep. How much is land that you can't develop worth if it were developed? And even asking that question kind of makes my head hurt. And you're not the only one. Thank you. I appreciate that solidarity. The IRS claimed that the easement was worth at most about $9 million and at worst, uh, nothing. Mm. And Seven Springs is just one instance of Trump using this tactic of donating conservation easements to generate large tax deductions. That's a great point. But- Trump's business losses and his use of conservation easements, those are both fairly well-covered territory already. I mean, we knew this from other things that have come out in the press. Yes. One thing people were hoping to glean from the returns is how much foreign activity Trump had, particularly in jurisdictions he was, let's call favorable towards, during his presidency, places like Russia. Exactly. Yes. I wanted something juicy and new. Foreign dealings was one of the things I was hoping for. And we do see some information in his returns about Trump's foreign dealings in a number of countries, including income that he reported from Panama, St. Martin, the United Arab Emirates, and the UK, as well as bank accounts held in Ireland, the UK, and China. Okay, but that all seems like it could be related to business operations that he, we know he has in many of these locations. Yeah. There are some other questions raised by the Joint Committee's review, but the Joint Committee was pretty clear to say in its report that these things may or may not constitute actual legitimate concerns. They were just things that they thought should be looked into further. So, so far, I don't really see any smoking guns here. Nope. Another thing that people were particularly interested in was looking at the returns and trying to understand how the Republicans' tax overhaul under Trump, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, affected Trump's tax returns. In other words, did he personally benefit from this large tax reform that he moved through Congress? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why people thought that Trump may have been a beneficiary 
was because the act was noted at the time for being definitely favorable to the real estate industry. Um, But it also eliminated a very large deduction for Trump. And that's the same one that we've talked about before, state and local taxes. Ah. In 2018, Trump had state and local taxes of $10.5 But the act he signed into law limited that deduction to just $10,000. But listeners, before you get too excited and think that Trump actually did something that was not in his own best interest... We have to remember that Trump has a lot of partnerships and limited liability companies. Those are flow through entities. Uh And in 2020, the IRS issued guidance that allowed certain businesses like those that Trump owned to be the ones to claim those state and local tax deductions and avoid that $10,000 cap. So it is very likely that Trump's deductions for state and local taxes were not capped at all because he just funneled those deductions through these flow-through entities. So one thing that did come out since the release of the returns is that Trump did not make any charitable contributions in 2020. And this is noteworthy because if you will recall, Trump tweeted his promise to donate his presidential salary over $400,000 to quote different agencies throughout the year, end quote. But he didn't claim a deduction for any donations in 2020. So it's possible that he didn't follow through on this promise in another sign that Trump was falling on hard times by 2020. That's a fair point. It's also possible, though, that he did follow through on this promise. But in that case, it would be a little odd that he didn't claim a deduction for it. Although, come to think of it, back to our Seinfeld example, I have it on really good authority from George's boss, Mr. Kruger, that the Human Fund is not, in fact, a 501c3 organization. That must be it. our favorite part of our show and it's the first good bad and ugly of 2023 hooray i'm gonna go ahead and guess that one of your new year's resolutions is to be more positive and to try harder to see the good of things so why don't you kick us off to be clear my only new year's resolution is to eat more cookies and i'm (laughs) confident that i will succeed i believe in you yes Nonetheless, I am 100% fine kicking it off today because I do have some good things to say. Ooh, I'm loving this positivity. Bring it home for us. Gladly. Uh, So one good thing about this episode is that you and I and tax nerds everywhere finally got to see Trump's tax returns with our own eyes. It's so true. And it has been such a long wait. We are accustomed to seeing these when a presidential candidate's running for office not nearly two years after they begrudgingly leave office. Emphasis on the begrudgingly. Yes. And I think it's a good thing for a president's tax returns to be disclosed to the public. I like the transparency. I personally call me crazy, but I personally think the public has a right to know a little bit more about the financial dealings of the person sitting in the highest office. And if you don't want people to know about your finances, you don't have to run for president. (laughs) Nobody's forcing you. Such a good point. No, No, you're not crazy. I totally agree with all of that. I think it should actually be law that candidates have to, or at least uh, certainly the person who wins has to disclose. Um, It shouldn't just be a custom. But the fact of the matter is, it is not 
law currently. And this particular candidate chose not to disclose. And he frankly was well within his rights not to disclose. And that brings us to the bad. When you think about it, the Democrats really don't have a leg to stand on as justification for publicizing these returns against Trump's will. No, they do not. And it's making me particularly crabby because I don't I don't want to defend Donald Trump. It's just not something that I want to do. I feel like I've been doing that this whole episode. This is not a good way to start 2023. No. So let's try to move it along here. But, you know, the Democrats are saying that this was all about IRS oversight, overseeing the agency. But as we talked about earlier, they could have done that without releasing his tax returns. So clearly it has to be about more than just IRS oversight. Unfortunately, the IRS oversight piece, uh, even if it if that was what it was all about, didn't yield much good news. I mean, it's a bit depressing that the tax authority for one of the world's richest and most powerful countries isn't capable of auditing the tax returns of its own president, regardless of how complex the person's business empire is. That is not a good sign. Preach. Thank you. But I think I have preached enough about this topic. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not. (laughs) So I think the issue here is much bigger than Trump, as much as he might not want anybody to say that anything is bigger than him. But I I think the issue is bigger than Trump. Yeah. Because he is not the only wealthy individual who organizes his business operations in a complicated way. True. I would venture to guess that his is not even the most complicated structure that exists. Yeah. And if the IRS can't keep up with him, when they had a directive to do so because he was running the freaking country, Mm. then we can have little hope that they are keeping up with other similarly situated wealthy individuals. That's a great point. And it turns out that what they do instead is audit the lowest income individuals who are trying to do things like claim the earned income tax credit that they are 100% entitled to Mm -hmm. because that's cheaper and easier than going after these sophisticated Uh, high-powered tax practitioners, the army of which Trump has at his disposal. Right. So call me crazy, but I am really hopeful that with more funding and more qualified, competent people working at the IRS, this perverse trend will start to reverse. Amazingly, we have not even gotten to the ugly yet. So that's fun. Ah, yes, the ugly. Uh, And unfortunately, the ugly is the third goal we had for our episode today, addressing the potential consequences of making Trump's tax returns public. Yes. Kevin Brady, who is the ranking Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee, and by the way, all of the Republicans on the House Ways and Means Committee voted against making the returns public. Shocker. Kevin Brady said that releasing the returns will be, quote, a stain on this committee. Yes, he went on to warn that, quote, going forward, partisans in Congress have nearly unlimited power to target political enemies by obtaining and making public their private tax returns to embarrass and destroy them. Yeah, it is ugly. And with the Republicans now in the majority on the committee in 2023, there's talk about promised investigations into President Biden and his son, Hunter. And to be clear, we're not saying that this is ugly because they're going to go after President Biden, who's a Democrat. We're saying this is ugly because now seemingly anybody in either party can potentially use this power to go after whomever they disagree with. And possibly just to retaliate. Yes. So, I mean, it's not too clear what they think they might find about President Biden. The dude's already released his tax returns voluntarily all the way back to 1998. So there's there's not a whole lot yeah. of new information we're going to get there. His son, Hunter, 
is another issue altogether. Hunter is under federal investigation related to some of his business dealings, including income taxes, and he's already paid about a million dollars in back taxes as a result of these investigations. So there might be something there, and I think that's where Republicans really want to try to stick it to Democrats and expose some potentially embarrassing things about somebody closely connected to the sitting president. I think it is sad, and yes, this whole thing could be the start of lots of public releases of tax returns for no real reason other than to try to stir up public ire and controversy, and we did it all to see Trump's returns that didn't really have anything that exciting in them anyway. Yeah. I mean, it was fun for us, but when I think about all the resources that went into obtaining those returns, going through the court process, reviewing the returns, the reports that were written, and to think that that's going to be repeated ad nauseum. I mean, it seems a bit of a waste of public resources. There are things I would rather our government be doing than that. Agreed. But at least we'll have fun looking at the tax returns, right? Wow, that's some really impressive positivity. (gasps) It's another Festivus miracle! (laughs) Nice. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses. 